Those of you who have been here recall that we started a family series before Hurricane Irma showed up, and we weren't able to finish it. We got through singleness and single-mindedness. We talked about marriage, uh, but then we never got to parenting and children. And so what we've done after our Reformation month is gone back to the theme of parents and children, and we're looking at that for these two weeks. Last week we looked at Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. Now we're going to look at Ephesians 6, 4, and then we're going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 as well. I'll read Ephesians 6. I'll read 1 to 4 so we get the context we saw 1 to 3 last week. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then turning to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them while you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers." by thrusting out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and again and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On Christmas morning, 
stockings are fair game before everybody else is up. That's how it worked in my home growing up. The kids would get up at the crack of dawn. The adults were not so quick to get up because they'd probably been up late putting toys and things together and decorating and so on, making sure everything was great for the next morning. But stockings were fair game. They were there in front of the fireplace, and we were able to tear into them without having to wait for anyone else. Well, that's how it worked in our family as well. Sandy saw the great utility of having stockings and uh, letting the kids tear into them right away, and so we adopted that custom. That's a custom we received from my family. We also have a birthday custom. When the children, or actually the adults, come down uh, in the morning, on birthday morning, the presents have to be on the steps. I don't know how that happened. I think we did it one year, and we liked it, and so we just did that. Presents during on a birthday are on the steps. And everybody has these sort of customs in their family uh, that we consider to be normal. And if we get out of the routine, if we're at a, like we have been at certain places, a, a one-story house, and we had a birthday at a one-story house, I had to go find a ladder. <laughs> because presents have to be where? On the steps, exactly. And so some of these customs, we inherit them from our parents, like the stockings. We invent them sort of by accident, and then they become the right way to do things. But there are other customs that we must establish and maintain on purpose. And these customs that we must establish and maintain reflect priorities in our families, reflect what we are saying about what our family is, what our family believes, what our family does. Last week, we looked at three stages of parenting. What were the three stages? First of all, we teach, oh my, obedience, there we go. And after obedience comes the stage of wisdom. Okay, great. And after wisdom, it's preparing for independence. Okay, those were the three stages. And today, we're going to be talking mostly about priorities. But how do we flesh out these priorities? We flesh out these priorities by developing family custom. And we're going to talk about that a little bit as well. And we're mainly going to be looking at Deuteronomy 6, but I left you hanging last week with Ephesians 6, and we talked about 1 to 3, but we didn't get to 4. We talked mainly about the children and the obedience part, but 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I want you to notice something here. He addresses fathers. Now, this word in the original of the New Testament can cover fathers and mothers. However, it's interesting, if you look at verse 2, it says, honor your father and mother. And uh, then he says in verse, oh, I'm sorry, in verse 1 it says, obey your parents. So that's a generic word for fathers and mothers together. And then it says in verse 2, honor your father and mother, uses the specific terms. And he could have used the term for parents again in verse 4, but he didn't. He used the term for fathers. Now, it can cover fathers and mothers, but in this context, it looks like the focus is on, guess what? It's on us, dads. It's on us fathers, that this is our responsibility. And this uh, is, is a good reminder for us because we can fall into the idea of we provide for the family and mom takes care of the kids. Now, I think that's changing probably more and more as many Moms as well are working outside the home, so it becomes a partnership both to provide for the family and to take care of the kids. But we, we fathers need to remember that it's our responsibility to train the children, uh, not uh, teacher's responsibility, not pastor's responsibility, uh, not all of our wives' responsibility, but it, it comes back to us. We have a special responsibility. And it tells us not to do something, and then it tells us to do something. 
And uh, I think this is, it's possible that, that mothers can provoke their children to anger, but perhaps we fathers are particularly good at provoking our children, which is maybe why it's addressed specifically to us, but uh, maybe not, I don't know. But it says what we should not do, and certainly mothers shouldn't do this either, but it says, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, what does that mean? It does not mean that we should never do anything that might uh, to which they might respond in anger. Because there are many things that we do, and we do, and we need to do, and our children may respond badly to those things. So, so we are not to be controlled by how they might respond. Uh, we could do something that's right, but they might respond in anger. But we must avoid unnecessarily antagonizing them, unnecessarily producing resentment in them. And how can we do that? Unfortunately, there are lots of ways to do that. We can produce resentment, we can produce anger in our children unnecessarily by being aloof, by being unapproachable, by being unaffectionate, by being unavailable, by being capricious, by being arbitrary in our decisions, changing from one day or one moment to the next, by being explosive or angry ourselves, by being severe, unreasonable, harsh, or one that I always had to deal with in our family and constantly had to repent of was being sarcastic. Common methods of parenting that are ineffective, counterproductive, or likely to provoke resentment in our kids are things like shouting, begging, repeating, bribing, manipulating, exiling, sending them off, belittling, insulting, or verbally abusing. These are things that are, are designed to produce resentment in our children. But instead of these things, Paul says here, we are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And this, this uh, bring them up, it's interesting that he just used this word back in verse 29 of chapter 5 in Ephesians. It says here, For no one ever hated his own flesh, and he's talking about marriage here, but he uses an example of how we take care of ourselves, that husbands should take care of our wives in the same way. And he says here, Because no one ever hated his own f- flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. And that word nourish is the same word that's translated here in 6.4 as bring them up. Interesting. So he's saying that, that what should parents do? What should fathers do? We should nourish our children, feed our children as Christ does the church and as we nourish our own bodies. And then he says two other words. He says, how do we nourish them? Uh, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And that first word, discipline, could be translated training. It's the word from which we get the word pedagogy. So uh, in the pedagogy, in the discipline, in the training, and the instruction of the Lord. So together, nourishment, training, instruction, that covers all that we need to provide for our children's uh, training needs. Now, that's that's the... the uh, the responsibility, what we shouldn't do, what we should do. And now let's jump over to Deuteronomy 6. Because now we're going to look at three priorities. You'd say, okay, that sounds good. I want to train my children. I want to nourish my children. On what should I focus? And here we have three priorities. And this is a fairly long text, as you noticed. We're not going to get into every detail. But I want you to see three priorities that jump out of the three sections of this chapter. Now, what is Deuteronomy? Deutero means second, so second, and nomos is law, so Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. 
So we find the law given in Exodus, and then in Deuteronomy we find the Ten Commandments again and other laws. So this is the second giving of the law. And it was Moses' farewell sermons. Moses is about to die at the end of Deuteronomy. Moses, the, the, the man who led them out of Egypt, God had appointed him to lead them out of slavery in Egypt. Well, he's about to die. And so he's giving his parting shot to the people. And it's a series of sermons that he's preaching to the people. That's why he keeps speaking in, in first person singular. I, uh, I give you this and I say this to you. And this is what happened and that happened. And he wanted to assure that they would have a long and good life in the land. Uh, and that this is the language we found last week. If you look at verse 3, it says, Hear therefore, Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord your God has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you remember that language from last week? That it may go well with you? We saw that in the, in the commandment, the fifth commandment to children, to obey their parents, that it may go well with you in the land. And we saw that Paul repeated that in Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. He says, why do we need to teach our children obedience? Not so that it will go well with us parents, see, uh, rather so it will go well with our children. They will have long and good lives. And this, uh, these verses here, verse 4, this is a fundamental confession of faith of, of the Jewish people. Uh, this is the, the Shema. This is the Hear, O Israel. And this, these verses, verses 4 to 9, and then uh, 11, 13 to 21, we're not going to read those, and then Numbers 15, 37 to 41, these three texts formed the daily prayer, the basic confession of faith of Jews. They would pray these every day. And it contains, uh, the confession of faith is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, The Lord is one. That's the basic confession of faith of a Jewish person. And then it contains, after that, the greatest commandment in all of Scripture. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And when they asked Jesus, which of all the commandments is the greatest? This is what he said. This is the greatest commandment. Now, um, after that, that, that basic statement and that basic commandment, he gives us the three priorities. You ready? The first priority to fill our homes with God's words. To fill our homes with God's words. Verse 6 to 9. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Fill your home, fill your family with God's words. And we as parents and we as fathers need to figure out how to do this. Um, he gives some actually very, very practical things. We don't use frontlets. We don't use, uh, I don't know, they were sort of headbands. You know, we don't, that's not how we would do it necessarily. Having frontlets between our eyes with the scripture there or the doorposts of our house perhaps. But, but what he's talking about here is, is including scripture in all that we do. In order to do that, look at verse six. In order to fill our homes with scripture, what has to be filled with scripture first? Verse 6. We do, right. Our hearts have to be filled with it. So we need to start with ourselves. We can't fill our homes with Scripture if we're not filled with Scripture. So first of all, we need to fill ourselves and then learn how to make Scripture a natural part of our daily living. Now, we can come up with routines, and here we get to customs. 
uh, customs that we, we use, we punctuate our days with something we do in the morning or something we do at lunchtime or something we do at evening or something we do at bedtime. Punctuating our days with specific times to read God's Word and to pray. And this is one of those, those customs that doesn't just happen. It's not a custom that many of us received from, from our families of origin. It doesn't just happen by accident. It's one of those customs that we need to, to develop and maintain. Because we saw in our family, we, we'd start and we'd, we'd, we'd be going okay for a while, and then this practice would come in, and this event would come in, and this change of schedule would come in, and, and we'd have to reestablish and, and sometimes change the custom when we would do it or how we would make it happen. But some point uh, during the day to, to sit down and to read and to pray. Uh, and this becomes part of the family, the family tradition, uh, family, the identity. And I have to say that our children didn't always enjoy this. Uh, and uh, we realized later um, that it was something of an interruption because at one point when they weren't going out at night, before they were going out at night, we did it in the evening. And so we would all crawl up on our bed and we would, we would be kind of playing and having fun on the bed. And then we said, okay, it's time for devotions. Then we realized it was kind of an interruption to the fun time that we were having. And so they didn't enjoy it so much because it seemed like it was getting in the way of the fun family time. Um, and so then they started having activities at night. We had to move it to the comida time, which in Mexico is the family meal, which is like 2.30 in the afternoon. Wouldn't work here, of course, but it, that's, we had to move it to the middle of the day. And so we, we, we had, to, we had to, to, to strive to keep this sort of thing going. But then we saw, um, in striking ways, how it became part of our family identity of... We dropped our daughter off here at Palm Beach Atlantic University, our second daughter, so we became empty nesters when we dropped her off. You know, it was, it was we dropped one off, but we still had one at home. And then a couple years later, we dropped the other one off, three years later, and now all of a sudden, our status really changed. It was just Sandy and I, empty nesters, no kids at home. And so we dropped her off, and so we drive back to my parents' house here in Fort Lauderdale, and kind of wistful, kind of sad, and then our daughter on her new cell phone, um, Flip phone, maybe in those days, I don't remember, but it wasn't a smartphone yet. People didn't have those quite yet. But she calls us and um, tells us about how the orientation was going and we're listening and we're missing her like crazy, crazy already. And she said, Dad, um, i got to go, but you know, we're going to say goodnight, but it, it's nighttime. I said, yeah, it is nighttime. Good night, sweetheart. I love you. And she said, Dad, aren't you going to pray? She said, it's nighttime, Dad. You always pray for us at night. And so I prayed for her over the phone. And that, whenever I talk to our girls, that's still part of our family tradition, wherever they might be, wherever I might be. It's nighttime, so we pray together. Now, that's the first thing, but uh, I, want it, uh, I don't want to leave the idea that this is kind of a, a one-long sermon, uh, one-long lecture. Uh, I've seen some families that kind of do that. You know, it, it, the, the parents always seem to be lecturing their kids, and we certainly don't want that. We need to, to figure out how to bring the word in when. Well, when we're, we're sitting in our house, when we're walking by the way, when we're lying down, when we're getting up in the morning, the normal little things that we do, that Scripture become a meaningful part of those. Well, that's the first thing. We need to fill our homes with with Scripture. The second, the second priority is to protect our families from idolatry. <coughs> protect our families from idolatry. So the first is 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 offense. The first is is giving them what they need in Scripture. The second is defense, protecting them from that which will destroy them and harm them. And, and here we look at verses ten to nineteen, and he says to them, 
you need to be very, very careful because you are about to come into great wealth. And it's wealth that you didn't work for. He says, when you go into the land, you're going to have cities that you didn't build. You're going to have houses full of good things that you did not fill. You're going to have cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And you are going to go in, and you are going to eat, and you are going to be full. And that's a good thing. God says, I'm providing all of this for you. This is my gift to you. You didn't have to work for this. I'm giving this to you. Others work for it. It becomes yours. You possess it. But He says, when that happens, be careful. Be careful. Because what could happen? Verse 12, Take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him shall you serve, and by His name shall you swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. You see, that was the temptation when they came into their wealth, easy money for them, and they were full, and they were happy, they could forget where it came from in the first place. And they could start saying, wow, this is pretty nice around here. And all this great stuff, and, and who, what are the local customs anyway? Where did all this stuff come from? All this stuff that we're enjoying, and, and, and the local gods, what are they like? Maybe we should look into them as well, because this is a, a nice place around here. He says, be careful. Be careful that you not forget the Lord. And unfortunately, unfortunately, if you read the Old Testament, you find that this happened time and time and time again in the Old Testament where people would forget the Lord and particularly in times of material prosperity. You can look at the time of the judges, relative prosperity. Look at the time of Solomon, Relative great prosperity, actually. Look at the time of Jeroboam II in the north in Israel. A time of great prosperity, but also it was a time of turning away from the Lord and going after other gods. And this is something that we parents, we're preparing our children for what? We want them to have success in life. We're preparing them to be able to make money. And they need to make money. But we need to be careful to prepare them for what happens when they do make money, that they not forget the Lord and turn after other gods of our society. In addition to money, there are many other false gods that drive our society, such as fame, beauty, intellectual prowess, sensuality, power. These are all the gods that are out there that are saying to our children, come and serve me and I will make you happy. What are parents? Parents are the gatekeepers to our children's lives. And we must be very careful about what influences and values they are exposed to, when they are exposed to them, and how they are exposed to them. Because some parents say, oh, it's all out there, our kids are going to be exposed, and they will be exposed eventually. But we are the ones that are to determine how and when and in what context. Do you want them to learn from, I don't know, the locker room? Or do you want them to learn from a movie? Or do you want them to learn about these things from you as you're analyzing them in the light of Scripture? And so uh, we need to develop customs uh, that have to do with controlling, reviewing, analyzing the influences that come into our our children's lives and helping them to figure out what these gods, these idols, are saying to them through these various media of communication. Um, 
I'm um, necess- not necessarily recommending that you do anything that our family did, but we had to work through the different media that were available to our kids at the time. And I have to say that I'm glad that our children did not grow up with supercomputers in their pockets, as children do now. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that they didn't. We had one computer, and it was at a, a central place in the home. And even though we could have had more computers around the home, we wanted one computer that was visible to everybody, and it was a, they, we, we had to share it in the home. And when our children were very small, I made a very radical decision that our children weren't going to grow up with TV. And so uh, we said they could have two videos a week, but we wouldn't watch TV except things like the World Cup and the Olympics and that sort of thing. We had an ancient thing, that gravity or sort of thing, that if you stood near it and if somebody would hold one of the antenna, uh, it would get a decent reception of the local channels. And so we could watch, you know, World Cup uh, with, uh, with the, from the Mexican perspective on things. So, um, but we had to say, okay, we're we're going to we're going to be the gatekeepers here. We're going to decide, and we're going, not going to to let these sort of things come into our home at this stage. Well. Uh, now our children are adults and, you know, they, they, they like movies, but they analyze movies. Uh, and one of them likes TV programs, but she analyzes them. And she was watching one and she said, actually, I don't think I'm going to do that anymore because I see the effect that it's having on my life. And so, so they're adults and they're making those decisions, but we tried to give them the tools to, to analyze what they were receiving. But then we had to develop positive customs because if we can't plant them in front of the TV... Then we had to come up with other things. So what do we do? We develop customs about our family being a family that plays. And we played sports and we played games and we were always trying to, to come up with fun things to do that would uh, give us activities. Reading and playing basically are what we did that fell, filled the time uh, that maybe they would have been using in front of the TV. Now, I'm not please. I'm just giving you an example of how we approached it in our day. Things have changed now. And you have to deal, if you have smaller children, you have to deal with other media that we didn't have to deal with. But I'm just encouraging you to say, you are the gatekeepers. You are the ones that determine how and when and where and in what fashion these things come into your children's lives. So, two priorities first. Fill your families with what? The Word of God. And protect your children from idols. Protect your children from idolatry. Now, the third priority is in verses 20 to 25, and that is focus on redemption. And what is redemption? It is rescue by payment. Focus on redemption. And this is, this is interesting because he anticipates, Moses anticipates that children will grow up and they'll say, Mom and Dad, why is our family like it, like it is? Why do we do these things? Because my, my friends' families don't do these things. Why do we do these things? Explain this to me. Is there a reason for this? Or are these just this, this rules that, that you have for our family? When your son asks you in the time to come, your son asks you, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? This is when a child is coming into, into his or her own and saying, what's behind this? What's the meaning? What's this all about? I've been following along as a small child, but now I'm thinking about this. Explain this to me, Mom. Explain this to me, Dad. And then this is the explanation. Verse 21, Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. 
And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed great signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are to this day. Do you see the explanation? This is, this is the story. This is the family story. This is who we are. We are a redeemed people. We are a rescued people. When you want to know the meaning of why our family is the way it is, the answer for the Jews was, God rescued us out of Egypt. That's the defining event that, that gave them their family history, gave them their family culture. So where do the rules come in? What are the norms, the statutes? God rescued us and He loves us so much that He wants us to have lives that are worth living. That's why He gave us these rules. That's why we're, we're instituting these things in our families. Now that was the defining event of redemption in the Old Testament. But our defining event is another one. We can point back to Egypt because that is ours too. That's part of our family history. We can say... That, that we were slaves in Egypt and God brought us out of Egypt with an outstretched arm. But we have another story as well that's even greater than that one. That we were enslaved to sin and to death and to hell and to destruction and to futility and to vanity. And God in His mercy came and became one of us. And He gave Himself for us. He died, and that's the payment of our rescue. He died so that we might be bought out of these things, rescued from these things, and given life through His resurrection. That's the defining uh, complex of events. Death and resurrection of Christ. That defines who we are. So you want to know, son, you want to know, daughter, why we are the way we are? It's because God with not just one outstretched arm, but two outstretched arms on the cross, He showed us His love and He bought us back from our sin and death and decay. And that's why God has given us these these rules and these norms and these standards so that we might live them, so that it might go well with us because He loves us so much that He gave Himself for us. This last... Verse says, And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. This, this main event, the death and res- resurrection of Christ, transforms this final verse. It says that our obedience to God's commands will be righteousness for us if we obey them. And that's still true. If we obey them, they will be righteousness for us. But that's the problem, isn't it? That we don't obey them. And that's why we have families that focus on grace and forgiveness and restoration and uh, reconciliation. Because we look at this and say, yes, it would be our righteousness, but we haven't lived up as parents or as children. And that's why Christ came in the first place, to pay our rescue and to be our righteousness. And so we say, yes, it will be our righteousness if we're careful to do all these things, but we can say even more that Christ is our righteousness and the righteousness of all who trust in Him because He has fulfilled all of these commands in our place and He has given Himself 
for us, the lawbreakers. And so, if we believe in Him, He is our righteousness before God. And this is the righteousness that we long to pass on to our children. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You that You love us so much that You rescue us from all that is against us, sin and death and hell, destruction, decay. You rescue us from all these things through that greatest of all payments, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us. And He has become our righteousness. And our God, we pray, I pray, particularly I who am in a stage of parenting that is as a friend and as a counselor and as an encourager, but no longer as the one who's guiding and and directing the daily events of my daughter's lives. But I pray for those who are still in that stage that You would give them much wisdom to know how to fill their homes with Your words, to know how to protect their children from the the ravages of idolatry and how to focus their, their family culture on the redemption that Jesus Christ bought that it might go well with their children and their children's children to a thousand generations until Christ comes again. And we pray this in His name. Amen.